there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to Time for Coffee. Hope you're savoring a delicious drip or espresso drink. And make sure to tweet us or tag us in your favorite coffee posts using hashtag time, the number four coffee, or hashtag T for C, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that here at T4C, one of our main goals is to expose Java junkies to all kinds of amazing professionals to help you tap into your own superpowers so you can find the job and career that you love. Well, my next guest, Brian Solis, has many superpowers that are relevant to you, no matter what career you're in or what career you decide to go into. Brian is a principal at the Altimeter Group, a research-based advisory firm. He's also a digital analyst, a digital sociologist, and we'll talk to him about that, and futurist who has studied and influenced the effects of emerging media on business, marketing, publishing, and culture. Brian, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am ready to go. I am properly caffeinated, uh, and will continue to uh, to be so uh, after this as well. Okay, well, fantastic. Now, before we jump into the Time for Coffee espresso shots, Brian, could you first please share with the Java Junkie community what a futurist is? It's something that you don't call yourself. Uh, it is a title given to you, and it is, in many cases, not what people think. I'll always get questions about when I study disruptive technology, its impact on business and society. Tell us, Brian, what trends are going to be like 15 years from now, or what's the business world and technology world going to look like 20 years from now? That's, that's not what a futurist does. A futurist looks at certain scenarios. So for example, uh, one of the scenarios I'm studying now is how mobile phones and social media are affecting our brains, our ability to focus, how we learn, how we talk. And my work is to play that out in the next 10, 15 years so that we can create new learning models, education models, and also to foster creativity and build models that are going to work with that new brain that is starting to take shape today. So that's that's a high level of what a futurist does, plays out scenarios based on what's happening today and what it could look like over time in specific scenarios. Great. That's very helpful. Thanks. So let's dive right into the espresso shots and get right into what entry-level jobs are available to young people who are eager to break into the field of disruptive technology. You know, the thing about entry-level field opportunities, it's that they're all over the place for anyone willing to learn before even coming to an opportunity. So a lot of times I work with research interns uh, or research assistants who help me do the research. Uh, and that is exploring who are who are the thought leaders, what are the interesting companies around certain types of technologies, and uh, helps me facilitate that information in using a lot of just research-based tools. Another area where it's really, really interesting is that of virtual assistance. Many, many entry-level opportunities start with not even booking meetings or booking flights, but just working remotely to help facilitate whatever it is that I need to do or work on on a daily basis. So gone are the days, uh, at least for me anyway, uh, of having a full-time assistant to help me 
in my work, I work with several research assistants on across several different projects. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. And I think a lot of this, you probably find commonalities with every single industry in that we're just simply moving to a 1099 or a gig economy where people are literally taking the jobs on demand that they want to serve. Great. What about useful skills that you look for in the people that you hire? This is interesting because uh, in the conversation that we had earlier about what a futurist is, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that in today's up and coming workforce, I am finding it harder and harder to find this particular skill set, which is to critically analyze something. And that is as a result of our use of smartphones and social media and things like Snapchat, <laughs> Instagram stories. So I really do look for someone who can identify opportunities based on what my instruction set is, but also someone who can process information and make sense of it as it comes back to me. And also someone who is resourceful. This is a strength of many people that I'm meeting in the younger workforce today, uh, that they are really, really, really good at finding information. I just uh, really value those who can translate it and qualify it into actionable steps for me as well. Terrific. What about someone's major? How much of a deciding factor is it when you're looking to hire someone or just in the industry in general? Are they at a disadvantage if they haven't studied X or Y? I, I love this question because the answer is different for what is versus what should be. When I'm hiring someone, I'm looking for those particular skill sets and also particular behaviors and attitudes. So more of a psychological profile, uh, not unlike, for example, what Google is doing today. So Google needs very specific types of attributes to work in basically what is an algorithm company. They used to, and I used to hire based on majors, degrees, and it it frustrates me when I see all of these new opportunities that exist in my industry and just in general that require these types of college profiles before you're even considered for the opportunity. But I followed Google's model where I look for attributes that I know are successful in the roles that I need to work with. And the attributes going back to being able to critically analyze and being resourceful? Yeah, those are some those are some high high level attributes, but I also look for people who can work well under pressure, who respond well to deadlines, who are creative. Uh, the lot, some of the things that I, I can't share because they're my secret sauce, but I try to find <laughs> super super talented people that allow me to focus on so many different diverse topics all at once, and that is specifically because of the talents of the individuals I work with. And going back to studies in school. How important is it to have a graduate degree in order to be successful in the field of disruptive technology? Oh, you know, this this is coming from a guy who came up in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had three, three startups, uh, two of which were acquired and basically still have to work for a living. And everybody in Silicon Valley that, I, that I've worked with over the last 20-something years, almost most of them haven't finished college. They've all left to start their own companies, myself included. And so I, I, part of me always feels guilty in saying that because it's not demonstrative of actually what it takes to be successful in disruptive technology, for example. I, I do know 
that a lot of my friends, for example, once they've had a startup or two, have gone back to school to get a business degree or a master's degree so that they could change direction in their careers as they start to grow up and think differently about what they want to do. They, maybe they want to teach. Uh, maybe they want to start investing in startups and that takes certain practices. So I think if the answer is depending on what you really want to do for a living, a degree is instrumental in seeing that through. If you want to start a company or if you want to work for a startup, then it's going to come back to those attributes that we talked about. That's that's where a lot of those startup companies uh, are, are focusing their efforts, unless it's a very specific discipline. And then that, of course, you can't avoid. Sure. And life experiences. What do you find are some of the more useful life experiences for someone who's trying to break into this field? You know, becoming self-aware. I know this sounds very strange, but because disruptive technology is just that, it's disrupted or disruptive, chances are that you are already affected by your relationship with technology. Uh, and it's not the fault of a lot of entrepreneurs or students today. It's called persuasive design. A lot of our mobile phones and applications that, that are on them, uh, a lot of the social networks we use, were designed to be addictive, designed to make you want to open your phone. The, the statistic is somewhere around 1,500 times a week just for the average user. And so I share this with you because the, the biggest thing that someone needs to understand is that they have an awareness that their life is in one way, shape, or form shaped by the technology that they use. And it's important because if you are being notified that you have a message or that someone liked your profile and you are consistently distracted in your work because of that device, I can't work with you. But if you can manage and balance your relationship with your device, and you are aware that you are doing such, you're exactly who I want. And that is often rarer than more common. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have summer interns, so I'm, I'm seeing that played out on a daily basis. <laughs> Brian, what is the best part for you of being in the field of disruptive technology? It's the best and the worst is the same answer. And that is, it is so exciting and so fast and so diverse. I've been in the game since 1991. And, and by the game, I mean tech, the technology game. And there was a time where I could just focus on one industry and focus deeply on one industry because it moved so slowly. And nowadays, disruptive technology is part of life. Every single day, there's something new. And its effect as, as a digital anthropologist as well is not just looking at disruptive technology, but how it's impacting work, like in our conversation about summer interns, how it's playing out in college educations, how it's playing out in the future of banking. It's so disruptive uh, and so big and so broad, so wide that it's exciting, but also it's overwhelming at the same time. But that's what keeps me going every single day. I'm sure. And and I'm guessing what the answer is going to be to the next question. What's the part of this job that frustrates you the most? So this is what I'm contending with right now. It's actually the topic of my next book, which is what frustrates me the most is exactly what we just talked about. I am not immune to technology's effect on my own brain and my own behaviors and my ability to critically think and dive deep and think about the creative aspects of how this can play out over time are absolutely affected by the very things that I'm studying. And I 
in a, in my own way, have to retrain my brain to be able to keep up the way I used to or get ahead of it because things are getting so much faster and, and diverse. And so that's an honest answer of where I'm struggling today. I think that's going to be a great book. Looking forward to it. Brian, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? The one thing that I cherish was I had I had a mentor, I had a couple of mentors in my life that I wish I had held on to or was still associated with today. Probably could use them now more than ever. I, I think the best advice was to, I, I know this is going to sound silly, but was to, to go after something that you really want. And it sounds so commonsensical, but the thing that I will say is that, look, I study innovation for a living. Innovation is not really just about technology. It's a mindset. Uh, it's a way of looking at things and living. And when someone says, go chase after what it is you really want, the hardest part is actually getting through your own mind. You can find every reason why you can't do something. Oh, I've got bills. I've got debt. I've got this. I just feel like the right timing. But you will always have those reasons in your life. And to go get something is the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's the only way to start teaching yourself life skills that you're never going to get in school. How to deal with failure, how to make something happen, how to juggle multiple things that you just didn't have to do before, how to become an expert on across multiple uh, ways of working. And my first real company, I started a magazine in Los Angeles when I was 21. But my first real company was a technology services company that I started when I was 29. And I had just had my son and we had just gotten to our new place. And it was, in hindsight, it's, it seems ludicrous that I would ever have done such a thing. But I couldn't have imagined any other way. And that advice was, go do it. Oh, that's wonderful advice. I, I feel like I'm living that right now. So I'm taking it in. Brian, what movies, if any, or fiction books do you think accurately depict your profession? <laughs> Minority Report. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting close. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and look, on the scary side, uh, I think anything George Orwell has become so prophetic, especially in politics today. So it's a little too, too scary, a little too close to home. But uh, I, I tend to close myself off to movies and books in general in my work, I have to keep such an open mind. Uh, you know, these, these mental models that we bring to analysis, uh, if they're not objective, then you sort of miss a lot of opportunities. There's, a, there's an old saying uh, that you don't see the world as it is, you see the world as we are. And we tend to apply our own cognitive biases to what we see in, in our work and personal lives. It's very common, it's very easy, it's very human. So I, I literally try to live in a cave and take everything with a fresh perspective. So you don't go to the movies? Nope. No, I know. It's, 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 it, I might sound like a loser. Not fun. I promise I'm fun. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you're not fun. But, uh, wow. but yeah, I, don't, I don't go to the movies or watch TV. Well, no wonder you're so prolific. There you go. Last shot here. What would people be surprised to learn about this field? You know, I love this question. But what people would be surprised to learn about is how necessary it is. It, it, in fact, I think it's underappreciated, to be honest with you. Uh, it, this field is exactly what everybody needs to know what is happening. 
and what is going to happen and how is it going to affect, for example, my job. If, if one of the things that I study is artificial intelligence and machine learning and I could ask a room full of students, you know, how many do you think are going to be affected by machine learning? And probably every hand would go up. So this means the skill sets that we have to have, the jobs that we need to look for, that'll be complementary to AI and machine learning. You know, these things are absolutely critical. It's true for every groundbreaking technology, whether it's blockchain or cryptocurrency or uh, augmented or virtual reality. Every business, every politician, every educator, every healthcare provider needs this information. So it's a more important role uh, and will grow in importance every single day than I think we give it credit for today. So we're going to be digging more into some of these professions and get some of Brian's recommendations in terms of the kinds of careers that you can be thinking about in the longer Time for Coffee interview. So please stay tuned for that. To learn more from Brian and the deep thinking he's done in the field of disruptive technology, you can check out his blog at briansolis.com and Solis is S-O-L-I-S or check out the show notes and you can get his latest book entitled X, The Experience When Business Meets Design. Brian, thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community and thank you for all that you do to make sure we're prepared for what's next in this fast-changing world of disruptive technology. You know, it's me who should say thank you. Just even having this conversation is reminding me why I got started in it in the first place. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.